Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. With uh, a few, what I would call pray the news headlines today. Obviously, we are all praying the news in relationship to the coronavirus. Let us be praying for those who have been infected um, and who are receiving treatment. Let us be praying for those who are giving that treatment. Let's be praying for first responders. Let's be praying for folks in really every every aspect and level of not only uh, healthcare and its delivery systems, but also those delivery drivers of every variety who are um, delivering food and delivering packages and delivering fuel and delivering and delivering and delivering and delivering babies. Okay, let's be let's be praying for all those folks today. Let's also be praying for um, other things that are happening around the world. Um, I don't know if uh, in the midst of all of this, you may have lost sight of what is happening in East Africa. And when I say East Africa, um, I'm being that general because we are talking about something that is affecting um, many countries in the eastern portion of Africa. And this is not only the coronavirus. This is the locust swarms. Locusts have now swarmed Kenya, Ethiopia, Somalia, uh, a country whose name I've never seen before and therefore cannot pronounce, um, and Sudan. They have all reported not only cases of the virus, but they are trying to um, implement help in the midst of um, these locust swarms that have now ravaged these East African economies. And you have to remember, these economies are already subsistence uh, in design. We're already talking about people who um, literally live um, hand-to-mouth, right? We're talking about a, a, a hand-to-mouth economy. We're talking about not just an agrarian economy, but a very localized agrarian economy. Um, and so we want to be praying for those 25 million people. You heard me right. 25 million people who are now going to require emergency food assistance. 25 million people in these countries in East, eastern the eastern portion of Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, Somalia, uh, being the, the first to be really crying out. But um, farmers in Pakistan are saying, our children will starve to death, and then because we starve to death, so will you. This is not... Um, a small issue, and it is headed for the Middle East, these locust swarms. And so I just want to be encouraging people to pray the news um, on that front as well. I know that we are paying very close attention to what's happening here at home, and we're concerned about whether or not we have a square to spare in terms of sharing toilet paper. But people in other parts of the world um, are are, very, are going to be very busy soon um, burying the dead, not because of the coronavirus, but because of famine 
caused by uh, a locust pestilence. And so let us be uh, let us be praying for that as well. So as we're praying the news this morning, we are uh, also mindful that we are people who uh, who are possessed of a faith that then must be articulated in the public square, and that there are those who um, are adversarial to everything that we have to say about God and His goodness, His greatness, His mercy, and His love. And so joining me next, Rupert Short. He's actually written uh, a very accessible book called Outgrowing Dawkins, God for Grownups. If you're familiar with the arguments of Richard Dawkins, um, this little book, Outgrowing Dawkins, God for Grownups, is an excellent equipping tool for the conversations we need to be having in this day. So up next, author Rupert Short. Rupert Short. Uh, We are going to talk today about his very um, brief but very clear book, Outgrowing Dawkins, God for Grownups. Rupert, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you very much. So um, I would be remiss if I did not ask, how are things uh, where you are and how is your life most significantly impacted by the coronavirus? Well, we're we're soldiering on here. We, we've been criticised by other European countries for being a bit behind the curve, which I think we have been. But maybe, especially over the past 24 hours, the, the message has sunk in that we, we need to observe that social distancing very carefully. I think people have got the message about um, hand-washing, but they've still been going to parks, public spaces in fairly large numbers. And as you know, that needs to be avoided. Um, remind us, are you are we talking to you today in London? Yes. Okay, wonderful. So, um, so when we are uh, praying the headline news related to the UK, you guys can just hold Rupert Short and his family and his colleagues in your mind. It always uh, it always helps us to have a friend who we can actually lift up before the Lord um, when we are conversing with him about the things of the day. So, thank you for being. Uh, the person in London today who we can specifically lift up. We appreciate that. Um, all right, let's talk, uh, let's talk about um, what you're doing in this very brief book, Out, Outgrowing Dawkins, God for Grownups. Let's talk about what you're doing in this book. Sure. It's maybe important to emphasize for our listeners that uh, my book is a response to R- Richard Dawkins's latest uh, polemic, which is called Outgrowing God. You'll recall that uh, about um, 13 or 14 years ago, he produced The, the God Delusion, which was a, a huge bestseller, not just in the English-speaking world, but, but in, in many other places as well. And this is a a kind of follow-up, Outgrowing God, uh, A Beginner's Guide to Atheism, and it's targeted more at the the sort of um, children, young persons, uh, young adult market. And uh, it's a terrible book, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but of course these challenges can be opportunities for Christians and others to to hone their arguments. And I was invited by a publisher to write a a very brief rebuttal. 
which I did in in a number of weeks. I, I didn't find it all that hard to, to write my book, to be honest. So it, it came out, uh, Outgrowing Dawkins appeared hard on the heels of Outgrowing God. And one of the reasons it wasn't particularly difficult is because uh, Dawkins doesn't really offer any kind of mature uh, conversational topics. He basically offers crude caricatures of the Christian faith. It, it, exactly right. I mean, there are so many levels on which you could criticize his book. Uh, he, he's a great scientific communicator. I mean, in, in his own field of, of zoology, he, he's pretty well-renowned. But it's it's the very, very strange inferences that he draws from that. That, that one could criticize. And we could start theologically. So he, he begins by saying, well, we're all of us, whether we're Christians, humanists, um, Jews, whatever, we are all atheists with respect to virtually every God that has ever been uh, discussed or that has ever featured in human culture. So we're all atheists with respect to, you know, Zeus or Hermes or, or Wotan or, or what have you. And the atheist simply believes in, in one less God. And he sees that as his trump card, when in, in fact it's, it's really his Achilles heel, because the, uh, it, it, it shows up very clearly that the, um, the God in whom he disbelieves is just a, a blown-up creature. It's, it's not the God of developed monotheism, let uh, alone the Christian God. You know, I think, um, and again, I'm talking with Rupert Short. We're talking about his book, Outgrowing Dawkins, God for Grownups. Rupert, um, it, it occurs to me that every time I am talking with a person who claims not to believe in the God of the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, the God of my faith in Jesus Christ, um, I often discover, if I listen long enough, they're not disbelieving in the in the actuality of that God. They're disbelieving in um, a misrepresentation of of God and of Jesus, whom they have encountered somewhere in the culture. And so when we come back from the break, we're going to continue this conversation about how, you know, frankly, people of mature Christian faith um, should not be particularly distressed by what Richard Dawkins says, but we should be prepared to approach a very mature grown-up conversation about God. Uh, the book is Outgrowing Dawkins, God for Grown-Ups. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Rupert Short about his book, Outgrowing Dawkins, God for Grownups. Um, you open with this conversation about the dialogue of the deaf, which I'm not going to tell people about because uh, it's worth the, worth the price of the book. What I want to dig into with you is the, what I think, what, it, what for me was the meat of the book, which is this middle, uh, this middle portion, God for Grownups, um, part two of the book, because in this section, you really do move through a number of um, arguments that maybe, uh, I mean, maybe arguments is the way to think about it. Maybe you think about it differently than the term arguments, um, conversational talking points. 
that mature Christians need to be equipped to enter into with non-believers? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there there are various uh, levels of discussion, as you you indicate. Uh, We've mentioned theology briefly, um, and you could move on to philosophy. Dawkins is under this very, very weird impression that existence as such can be explained by evolution. Um, And he's highly dependent on an American theoretical physicist, Lawrence Krauss, who's written a book called A Universe from Nothing, which purports to explain why any belief in a creator is completely unnecessary. And it's only when you get to the small print of that book that you realize that, that absolutely everything that he says about reality is dependent on on the prior existence of a quantum vacuum. So belief in a a creator God is not, and I would say cannot be, rendered redundant by physics. We, We still face that ultimate question about why there is something rather than nothing. It's no good saying, well, if you have gravity, then that can explain the universe. I mean, gravity, it's it's ontologically inert. I mean, it's it's a way of describing reality. It doesn't create reality. So Dawkins is wrong on the philosophy as well as on the theology. I move through, as you indicate, through through a, a, a range of, of subjects. There's the Bible. I mean, he he's just the sort of mirror, mirror image of the fundamentalism that he rejects. I mean, there's a, a, a very, very unsophisticated understanding of, of the Bible. Um, but the curious thing is that he's even wrong about the science. And I consulted, as I was writing my book, some pretty eminent scientists as well as philosophers and theologians. And, and one very, very renowned um, physiologist who, who who is a person without any particular religious affiliation, he said to me, Rupert, never mind about the theology, Dawkins is up the spout on the science. And, and this is because he's a, a neo-Darwinist who rejects any idea of teleology, that's to say goal-directedness in nature. And in fact, there, there is much more precisely at the cutting edge of science these days. There, there is much more talk about teleology. And the curious thing, or the really interesting thing, is that that chimes precisely with some of the traditional arguments from Christian philosophers. If you take somebody like St. Thomas Aquinas in the high Middle Ages, his his argument from design isn't isn't about in, intelligent design, as it is understood by, by some today. It's about goal-directedness in, in nature. And I, I quote um, one commentator who, who puts it very well, I think. Many scientists now do talk teleologically, he writes. It's curious, actually, that many people discussing modern scientific worldview use words like random and accidental. We're just an accidental blip on the face of the cosmos. But that can't be quite right. It does seem that it is quite natural for galaxies to form. It is natural for some stars to explode into supernova and to produce heavier elements. It's natural for planets to form. And most scientists 
say that sooner or later, given the right conditions, life will emerge. And then, given the Darwinian principles of selection, intelligence is likely to be favoured. So the scientific conclusion from all that seems to be that the universe is, as the British astronomer Royal Marcin Rees puts it, both biophilic and noophilic. That is to say that it will tend in due course to produce life and intelligence. There is a natural tendency there, if you like. So using words like accident and random and so forth is misleading. And this connects, I, I think, very nicely with a, a remark of, of C.S. Lewis, which, which I quote, it's, it's a bit like a, a policeman who, having himself stopped all the traffic in a certain street, should then solemnly write down in his notebook, the stillness in this street is highly suspicious. I think it's I think it's um it's worth just adding finally that um we we should may, maybe be clear about what what is and what is not implied by this sort of argument. I'm not saying and therefore you have to believe in God. I'm not saying that I have a logically coercive argument. I mean, I believe that faith in Christ comes from the grace of God and through conversion of life. Um, what I am saying is that the the Christian need not fear the arguments of atheists because these scientific arguments that I have just cited they they sit with they are com- perfectly compatible with a Christian understanding of of reality. Now, I know some of you who are listening right now are thinking, wow, if he uses words like that, um, then this book is going to be over my head. Um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, there, there may be people listening who um, who are a little afraid of that. Let me go ahead and tell you, this is not a scary book. Um, the, the content of it is, uh, is 89 pages. It is packed. Um, it is concise but it is absolutely approachable. It is a bottom-up approach to the conversations, not a top-down approach. Um, it takes the criticisms of the faith seriously by basically saying they're not very serious. I mean, ultimately, they're not very serious. We want to be yes, childlike I, in our approach, but not childish, I think would be yeah, my yeah. summation. And, and um, I, 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 I should say I, I've, tried, I, I've maybe quoted one, one of the more complicated bits, although I, th- I think that, that that was maybe worth doing because it, it really gets to the heart oh, certainly. of the matter. But the, 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 um, the, the crucial point, as, as you have indicated, is that the, the, the believer needn't be scared, but needn't be trapped in, in the headlights of either science or philosophy. And, of course, it's, it's a, very, a very big misreading of the history of science to think that there has been this permanent conflict between the two. Okay, there have been at times, but the, the, the figures, the great figures who created the modern world, uh, Descartes, Leibniz, Copernicus, uh, Newton, Galileo, the, these were not uh, people who were hostile to religion. On the contrary, they had very, very deep theological interests side by side with their uh, scientific practice. And you can make Rupert, a very, you and very I probably, argument. We're probably going to have to leave our conversation right there. I'm so sorry we don't have more time. Um, Rupert Short is the author, among other things, of Outgrowing Dawkins, God 
for grown-ups. Um, Rupert, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back. I see you dressed in All right, sticking for another segment with uh, people who have cool accents. <clears throat> Dr. David Aikman will be back. He and I are going to talk about what is going on in Spain and Germany uh, related to the coronavirus. I'm also going to ask him about these new uh, National Health Service uh, guidelines in the U.K. for medical providers when resources become scarce, how they're going to decide um, who gets a ventilator and who doesn't. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, friends, this is one of those days where we just um, pray for one of our own. So we don't exactly know why we can't get Dr. Aikman um, on the line. We were aware uh, last week when we talked to him that to us he sounded um, a little more frail than he had sounded to us in the past. Um, he is a person of uh, of a number of years. And so we're just going to pause right now. We can't reach him this morning, and um, that's unusual. So we are going to... Um, take a moment to lift him up in prayer, and then I am going to do the headlines that I was planning to discuss with uh, David Aikman. Father, we bear up before you, uh, our brother David. Um, you are the one who, you, you're the knower of all things. Like, people are not missing. They're not lost to you. You know, right where they are, um, nothing escapes your attention, your concern, or your care. And so right now, um, we just ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would surround, comfort, tend, counsel, um, be right in the midst of of and with our brother David, uh, and let him know that we are holding him up in your very presence by the power of our prayers. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, who gives us this extraordinary access to the very throne room of heaven. Amen. All right, so uh, David and I had planned to talk about these uh, these headlines out of Europe related to the coronavirus. So I will uh, I will do my best with no attempt at a British accent of any kind or Irish accent um, to to walk through this information. So um, Spain has actually become kind of the European epicenter uh, of the coronavirus. We had been uh, we had been paying really close attention to Italy. Italy still uh, just really extraordinary in terms of the numbers there. Um, the death toll in Italy from the coronavirus uh, surpassed 5,400 on Sunday. The number of fatalities in Spain rose by 30 percent in Spain's largest city in a single day. <clears throat> and so we want to be praying there, um, be praying for those who are there, and just be acknowledging that uh, we're we're talking about real numbers, and every time we talk about the number of people who have died, you know, we're we're talking about real people. So in the hardest hit region, Lombardy, um, which is uh, Italy, right? They had thirty four hundred and fifty six deaths as of Sunday. Um, in Spain, <clears throat> those numbers rose by nearly four hundred in its largest one day jump, and so. You know, I think we know that we're going to continue to see uh, 
rising numbers, probably with a multiplier effect here in the United States, simply because testing has now become so widely available. And so we're going to know that more people have COVID-19 or the coronavirus because more people are being tested. And when more people are being tested, just by virtue of the way this works, more people are going to be discovered to have the virus. We're certainly going to be uh, praying that most people who have the virus have such um, minimal symptoms that, you know, frankly, they didn't even know that they had it. It would certainly be our hope that your immune system is up to the task of this novel, new, novel, excuse me, new, novel virus, this particular uh, version of the coronavirus, which is COVID-19. All right. In Germany, you might want to know that Andrea Merkel has entered quarantine because she was exposed to a doctor who has tested positive. He was actually giving her a vaccine for uh, pneumococcal, uh, which is a, uh, right, it's a vaccine against pneumonia. So she got a vaccine from a doctor who then the doctor who gave her the vaccine tested positive for the coronavirus. And so she is in quarantine. Several European countries have moved to tighten their restrictions uh, in a bid to combat the spread of the virus any further. And so in Germany, where more than 23,000 people have tested positive, they have banned all public gatherings of more than two people. Unless you're working on the coronavirus. So if you're working uh, to to stop the coronavirus, then obviously this does not apply to you. But uh, I just want you to think for just a moment, banning all public gatherings of more than two people. Yeah, that's that's you and one other person, just to be clear. So um, and, and even then they're encouraging social distancing six feet or more. So just raising, I don't know, raising the if you weren't concerned yet, like it, it seems time to at least be prayerfully concerned about what's going on. Um, in the world. Now, I will say that one thing that caught my attention over the weekend, and I want to share it with you, are these guidelines that have been um, issued, and this is in the UK, um, specifically in, I think this is specifically in England. So um, I want to be, I want to be accurate. So I'm actually going to read part of this to us from, um, from The Independent, which is a a news outlet um, in the UK. So uh, their new guidelines have been published to help doctors and nurses decide how to prioritize patients during the coronavirus pandemic. So let's just pause there for a moment. Okay, now, again, this is in the UK. This is not in the United States of America. But as hospitals run out of intensive care beds and run out of ventilators, um, doctors and nurses are facing, you know, they've got to face these choices, these decisions. And so they have received these guidelines, this advice from their Uh, National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. It's called NICE, their National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, NICE. Um, NICE has issued these new guidelines for doctors and nurses amid concerns that, uh, you know, their their system there, which is socialized, is going to be overwhelmed and that they're not going to have enough intensive care beds and ventilators. Now, that issue is likely to be global because, in fact, nobody is going to have enough intensive care beds or ventilators. We're beginning to have that conversation here in the United States. Um, but these countries are, uh, because of their socialized med- medical systems, they have a lot fewer resources to bring to bear than we do here in the United States of America. So three of these new NICE guidelines were uh, were drawn up within a week, which is pretty hasty. Normally, it takes them like two years and lots of processes that they go through before they release these kind of um of guidelines. And so my my guess is we might see these guidelines uh, 
adapted over time, but it covers three categories of people. Anybody needing critical care, so that is anybody that would require an ICU bed, anyone currently on kidney dialysis, and anyone currently receiving cancer treatment. So you just want to think for a moment about the broad categories of people who are covered in this. Um, and they say, these guidelines say, that all patients admitted to the hospital are going to be assessed for frailty. And I just want you to think about what that might mean. So they're going to be assessed for frailty um, and prioritized based on um, outcomes, of predicted outcomes. So decisions about admitting patients to critical care uh, should consider how likely they are to recover. Taking into account the likelihood of recovery, quote, to an outcome that is acceptable. Now, acceptable to who? Well, it starts with acceptable to them. But then the list of people to whom it might be acceptable um, is is lengthened. And I was surprised to read in here that it's not just your family that might participate in this. It's not even just your doctor who might participate in this. You might be assigned a, a quote, um, advocate. And whether or not that advocate is advocating for you or what is perceived to be the common good because of socialized medicine is a whole other question. So I just want to be um, aware of this, alert to this, the questions about life and how we define it and the value of it are going to be front and center as this as this coronavirus continues to rage around the world. How are people treated in the midst of it um, and how are very, very difficult decisions made? We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Russia and China and Iran. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. If anyone had a reason to be anxious, it was the Apostle Paul. Envision an old man as he gazes out the window of a Roman prison, half blind, squinting just to read, awaiting trial before the Roman emperor. His future is as gloomy as his jail cell. Yet, to read his words, you'd think he had just arrived at a Jamaican beach hotel. His letter to the Philippians bears not a word of fear or complaint, not one. Instead, he lifts his thanks to God and calls on his readers to do the same. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul's challenge is a decision deeply rooted in the confidence that God exists, that he is in control, and that he is good. Rejoice in the Lord always. You can't run the world, but you can entrust it to God. This is Max Lucado. going to pick up where we left off and um, let me just go ahead and give you a source of accurate information so that when we have this conversation about disinformation and disinformation campaigns around the world um, through Russia, through China and through Iran, uh, you can actually know where to go to get accurate information and you can be a person who not only knows the truth but shares the truth with others. So Google has um, now developed a sort of one-stop shopping 
website. So you're going to go to google.com and uh, do backslash COVID-19. So I'm going to try that right now and just be sure that I've got it right. Google.com backslash COVID-19. And that is going to take you to the COVID-19 information and resources aggregated website that Google produced in response to the president of the United States um, announcing that they were doing so, even though at the time Google didn't know they were doing it. But, you know, they're pretty quick at these things. So it's now up and running. So you could type in Google's coronavirus website if you can't remember Google.com backslash COVID-19. COVID-19 is actually the official name of this particular variety of the coronavirus. Remember, we have talked before that coronavirus is a category of of viruses. Um, SARS was one uh, coronavirus that actually got named. MERS is another coronavirus that got named. This is a third coronavirus that has a name. Most years, the coronaviruses that come among us as common colds don't get names. And so although we are referring to this as the coronavirus, this is actually a coronavirus, and it has a name, COVID-19. So Google's website is google.com backslash COVID, C-O-V-I-D, 19. Okay, so that's where you're going to go to get accurate, up-to-date information from the World Health Organization, um, from uh, the, the U.S. government's response to the coronavirus, um, all kinds of really good information there. It's really, if you scroll down on that page, it's actually got some really cool stuff on it. So I just encourage you to check that out. Um, now, to the naughty, uh, now to the naughtiness out there related to information being spread, uh, inaccurate information, both Russia and China, and now increase, increasingly Iran, are engaged in misinformation or disinformation campaigns that are designed to um, aggravate efforts both here in the United States but also throughout the EU um, to aggravate efforts to get accurate information out to people. So when, when information streams are flooded with misinformation or disinformation, it's harder for people to sort through what is true and what is not, and they can tend to panic and Um, do things or try things that they ought not do or try. So just be aware of that. There are active efforts um, by those around the globe who would like to see nothing more than um, our Western way of life destroyed. And so they think, well, here's an opportunity for me to be naughty and um, work some work some evil over there. So there you go. Be be aware of that and only rely on accurate sources of information. China's disinformation campaign um, is actually, you know, reach the point where they are um, expelling U.S. journalists because, after all, you know, they don't want real information, accurate information to get out about what's going on. And so they are expelling U.S. journalists. That's a really important note because how are we going to get accurate information from a place where we no longer have literally eyes and ears on the ground um, reporting what is happening in real time in real places? Finally, let me just lift up this uh this link between China and Russia, um, because I think this is important to know as well. Um, you know, in the same way that uh, that good actors are looking for legitimate partners um, in the midst of this, bad actors are also looking for partners in the midst of all of this. And so it, it's, it is not insignificant. I know that's a double negative. I could just say that it's significant, but it's more accurate to say it's not insignificant that the president of the United States um, continues to reach out to people like Kim Kim Jong-un in North Korea, seeking to be sure that um, our relationship, even with a despot, 
doesn't deteriorate in the midst of this. Um, the same would be true of Iran. And so the United States of America has offered some aid and some help to Iran in the midst of the coronavirus, but that aid has been rejected um, because the the theological leader of Iran has uh, has said, and this is obviously not true, false, inaccurate information, but it's what he's telling his people, that uh, the United States actually developed this virus to specifically target people with Iranian DNA. I don't even know what that means, but there you go. Um, obviously, that's not true. We have uh, we have offered to render aid. Well, as of this morning, what they are demanding instead is that the United States would lift all sanctions um, and then Iran would be able to, you know, emerge economically from the devastation imposed upon them um, by U.S. sanctions. And so, you know, there are certainly those around the globe who are seeking to make the most and make the best of this situation by strong arming others uh, who want to do good, strong arming them to do something that in in ordinary times we would not do. And so if Iran seeks to strong arm the United States into lifting sanctions um, in order that we could then in turn help the people of Iran who are being decimated by the coronavirus, um, you see how that's that's just not a government that loves its people, that's desiring to do the best for its people. And so when you are praying and evaluating what's happening around the globe, let's be praying for people who are living under despotic regimes like that of Iran, like that of China, um, like that of North Korea. The list is actually fairly long. Let's be praying for people who are not living in the kind of freedom that we enjoy. And yes, let's continue to um, be responsible in the way that we limit the exercise of our own freedoms in these days to protect the most vulnerable among us right here in the United States of America. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. You can be um, an ambassador of this show and a radio missionary by going to MyFaithRadio.com, getting the podcast of this show, and then sharing it with others. We'll be right back. Okay, so whatever you're encountering today, I want you to do so as an ambassador of the kingdom and a child of the king. That is who you are. Never forget who you are in the midst of all of this. And let us be people, because our lives are built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, let us be people who are not shaken, even in the midst of a world that's pretty shaky right now. So be the, um, be the. I know you can't actually be the shoulder on upon which someone leans. So I'm trying to find a new turn of phrase here. Be the social distanced prayer partner that someone can turn to uh, via the phone, via text, via Facebook Live, via Zoom, via all of the things that techno Skype. We're thankful for Skype here on the program. We have lots of guests who join us via Skype. Um, be a person who uses technology in ways today that enable you to be a shoulder to lean on, um, even if, you know, like your physical shoulder can't be present. Also, encourage people to recognize the very presence of God in their midst. They are not alone. They may be feeling lonely or isolated right now, but if people would open themselves to the very presence of God in their midst, um, trust me, you feel instantly not alone and certainly not lonely. God is with you. God is present. Um, God is concerned and caring and active. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort and to counsel, to guide, and to walk alongside you in the midst of these days as you walk alongside him. So let us be people who walk by faith today. Have a great day and God bless. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.